Hi, it's Carolina. I'm so excited that you could join us on the City Point Redcliffe podcast. You're just about to hear a message from one of our incredible preaching team, and I know you're going to be encouraged and inspired by what you hear. If it does encourage you, why don't you share it with someone who you know might need to hear it as well? And make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any of the messages that are uploaded every single week. And for now, sit back and enjoy. I hope you get blessed. We are leading into a new theme at the moment. It's called For the One. And we understand that Jesus lived for the one. He looks past the, the sin. He looks past the mess. And he constantly created space and was allowing interruptions of his busy schedule in order to make space for individuals. It was he that, in the midst of his day-to-day, had a, a, a woman who was caught in adultery, dragged out in front of him. How inconvenient. How inconvenient for Jesus that he got... He had to deal with this who knows what state woman and all this sort of stuff, but he made space. When everyone else was picking up a stone, he knelt down and started drawing in the sand and created a space for that woman to experience healing, redemption, and a purpose. It was him who was on the way to healing someone else, had someone tug on his garment, and it was a lady who received healing and stopped and made space for the one. He sees through time. He sees through eternity to you even to see you and he is all about the one and as we as Christ followers are all about the one too and so we are actually going to read about some of Jesus's final words before he left the planet and we are going to understand what it means to carry this legacy carry this mission as ourselves Acts 1 chapter Acts chapter 1 verses 6 through 8 says then they being the disciples gathered around him, Jesus, and asked them, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times of the date the Father has set on his own authority. Verse 8, and this is where we're going to live, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Have you ever met someone and you're making the initial conversation you're like oh so what do you do for work and all that sort of stuff and they say that occupation and you act like you know what it means but you actually have no idea I asked Dan before what what's one of these occupation and without even hesitating he's like project manager what is a project manager what project are you managing like it can be all the way from like artificial intelligence to mining to w- fill in the gap. Who knows what you're actually doing? Do your people you're managing know that you're the project like and consultant? What are you consultant? And we act. Oh yes, I know what you mean. Like um, my uh, my my previous work is in digital marketing. No one knows what digital marketing is. I, I don't. Have, most people. I, I worked in it, and I'm not. Sh- totally sure. People understand digital and they understand sort of the concept of marketing and they're like, oh yeah, of course. And they act like they know what you do, but they don't really understand. And so when we read this passage, I think there's a little bit of that translated into our understanding of, I will send you to be witnesses. Uh, And most of us will import our own categories around this word witnesses. Maybe it is a knock on the door saying, have you heard the good news? 
maybe it's a high diddly ho neighbor sort of import and category that's imposed on this idea of witnessing. Maybe you're importing uh, the idea of an evangelist, like a big Billy Graham stadium, and you're like, man, I, I, I'm no Billy Graham. Uh, and we're importing all of our own personal categories into this concept. But if we get to the understanding of it, what is a project manager? What is a witness? What is the biblical understanding for what Jesus is actually mandating us for, to do on this planet? And understanding this is where we're going. We're actually trying to demystify the concept of what it means to be a witness. So I've got a couple of thoughts tonight. And my first thought is this. We are called to be mirrors, not mirages. Mirrors, not mirages. When we're talking about a witness, one of the first things, categories that jumps into my mind is a court category. So we're talking about a court of law and the people that caught up to the stand and they put the hand in the Bible and they get sworn in and they say, do you swear to tell them nothing but the truth and all the truth and all that stuff? And you go, yes. Wouldn't it be strange if they started making up absolute lies and garbage? Like we understand that there's a, a witness isn't making up their own understanding of the events. What they're doing is they're just reflecting what they've seen. And this is this concept of being a mirror, not a mirage. Mirrors are just a direct reflection of what they see in front of them. And I, I tried this before where I got out a mirror and showed you all, but it turns out those stage lights reflect directly into your eyeballs. So we're not going to do that tonight. We're not going to blind anyone in the audience. Uh, but this concept of being a witness... We, we ramp it up and we put categories behind it. It's so hard. Man, I, I don't know what it means to talk about Jesus in my school, in my workplace. What if it was just reflecting what you've seen? The idea that I don't actually have to bring anything of my own creative liberties into this. I am literally just reflecting what I've seen. And the apostles got this. So a little bit further down in that chapter, in um, chapter 1, we get to this scenario where Judas, who is the man who betrayed Jesus, obviously isn't hanging around to be an apostle anymore. Good fact. He actually has quite a gruesome death. Um, don't betray Jesus. There's the hack for the tonight. <laughs> but the apostles decide, hey, we need someone to fill his space, and they recite some prophecies. And their categories, their requirements for these people to actually be the replacement for Judas is in Acts chapter 1, verses 21, says, Therefore it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us, the disciples, the whole time from when the Lord was living among us, beginning with John's baptism to the time that Jesus was taken up from us. One... For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. The, the category, the criteria for someone to fulfill the replacement space for Judas was that they had seen Jesus' ministry. And notice that it didn't talk about eloquence. Notice it didn't talk about history. It didn't talk about their personal experience. All it talked about was their experience with Jesus. We, we can come up with all the categories and reasons why we are, are not 
good people to share Jesus. I'm straight up the first one. Um, I, in high school, I remember I would shake so much before my English presentations that I couldn't read my own palm cards. Like there, there's a category that says, I am unqualified to be a witness in this scenario, to actually share something about Jesus. But it's not about our own personal categories. It's about the categories that how long and what have you seen of Jesus in your own life? And so let's demystify what it means to be a witness. Let's not go around saying, have you heard the good news? And there's a bunch of weird Christians. Who's encountered a weird Christian? Don't look next to you. <laughs> but to actually provide a true witness, it's just a true reflection. What is the gospel according to you? What is the gospel according? We have the gospel according to Mark, the gospel according to Luke, the gospel according to John. Now, I'm not saying rewrite the Bible. That's not what we're talking about here. What is the gospel according to Miles? What is the gospel according to Chloe? What has God done in your life? Talk about that. Let's demystify what it means to be a witness. What has Christ done in your life? I know in my own life, there's so many stories. There's a story about me coming to Christ as a young man, turning from a family faith to a personal faith and encountering him at a youth camp in a worship service where I lifted my hands for the first time because I felt his presence and I was behind the sand desk without anyone else praying for me. There was that moment. But then there was the moments of my journey where I'd experienced different uh, learning curves, maybe certain uh, sinful activities that I had to mature out of, and I experienced the redemptive power of Jesus in my life. And it means that I can speak into someone else's experience of that very thing. We could talk about maybe some of the difficulties leading into marriage or how to have a good family or how to articulate yourself in the workplace and make decisions. Well, what has Christ done in your life that gives you authority to speak into that, into someone else's life? You don't have to know it all. You just need to know Jesus. You don't have to have all the certain categories and the words. Now, let's qualify the fact that it is intimidating to put yourself out there. There is a spirit of intimidation that has come across culture in the wake of a cancel culture because it says if you stand up against us, we'll not only crush you, we'll publicly crush you. <laughs> That's intimidating. But it's not that they're rejecting you, they're rejecting Jesus. And that gives you liberty to stand on the word of truth and to communicate it in such a way that is grace-filled, that is truth-filled, because it's not that they're rejecting you, they're rejecting Jesus. And what it means to reflect then is I'm just being a witness. I'm just demystifying it. Just say what you've seen. Just say what you've seen. I like that mirrors always redirect attention. There's a quote by J.M. Boyce here that says, the witness must realize that he has no independent importance in himself. He must know that he is not the answer to man's problem. In 2 Corinthians 4 says this, 
Paul says, for we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as the bondservants on account of Jesus. For God who said, let the light shine out of darkness is the one who is shone in our hearts to give the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure, this perfect treasure, this message of what we've seen in earthen vessels so that the extraordinary greatness of the power of God will be for Him and not ourselves. Man, as mirrors, as reflectors, we are redirecting attention, which means this, it's not your job to save anyone. Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, it is the harvesters that are in lack. And so what you're doing is you're being sent out into the harvest that is already ready. It is the Holy Spirit's job to convict of sin, to convict of righteousness, and to bring them to the state of awareness where they'll make a decision towards Christ. Your job is the seed sower. And so what we see here is we are redirecting attention, and the Holy Spirit is saying that I'm the hard worker. I'm the one that works in souls and hearts. I'm the one that creates transformation in people. I'm the one who is working in such a manner, not you. Do not put yourself under the pressure that you have to convert people's opinions. Because people can think a certain way. Uh, Pastor Carolina mentioned this morning in the message that you should definitely watch or listen to this week about C.S. Lewis and the fact that he had all the intellects behind him. But it wasn't the intellectual arguments that transformed his heart. It was the Holy Spirit constantly irritating him into the submission of saying, I can't reject this God any longer. So you might have the answers intellectually to everyone's problem, but people don't have an intellect problem. They have a sin problem. They, they don't need the message of Tom. They need the message of Jesus Christ. They need the Savior, the Redeemer, the one that took the dead to the life. The one that didn't come just to make good people bad, but make dead people live. He, that we need a Savior, Jesus. And we know that because it is our story. We have seen it, therefore we'll say it. It is the redirection of attention back on the Savior. Because it's really hard being a Savior yourself. Let's just put it out there. Evidently, you will fail someone. Don't let your failure take them out of their following of Jesus because that means they're following you. We need to always make sure that we're in a redirection. We're not in church because of the great spirit and Pastor Carolina. We're in the church of the great spirit and savior of Jesus Christ. Pastor Carolina is fantastic but she did not die for my sins and resurrect to the seat of the Father yet. <laughs> but it is the Savior, Jesus. Would Jesus Christ be the man on your lips? Would Jesus Christ be the man through your words? Would your posture, would your character redirect towards Him? And so we are mirrors, not just mirages of something fake without substance. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ that brings salvation to everyone who believes. 
And now I would like to say, if you're in this room and you've never experienced this redemptive power, there will actually be an opportunity for you later. And it could be the very moment that transforms everything for you, but a reflection that redirects attention. It's not manufactured, it's authentic, it's real, it's people. It's just people being people that need a savior. Imperfect people leading each other is God's perfect plan or something that I just butchered that quote. (laughs) But it's all good. Second thing I want to bring out of this verse in Acts chapter 1 verses 8 is you've got to leave the light on. Have you ever tried to look at a mirror in the dark? Really hard. Really hard. Like we've got a little, you know, the we're such parents. You've got the mirror on the little thing so you can look in the reverse mirror and then get a reflection of your kid in the baby chair. Doesn't work at night. Like you, you can stare at that mirror all you want, but you can't see anything. There's actually a light requirement for the reflection to occur. And what we see is, what is the light in our scenario? In verse 8 of Acts chapter 1, that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. The Holy Spirit is the light. He is the one that maintains it. Excuse me. He's the one that creates the environment in your life for the reflection of Jesus Christ to be seen by other people. He is the one who creates the environment in the transformation in your own heart in which the attention is redirected away from yourself onto the Savior. It is the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's, that's our secret source. That's how we can be imperfect people because we have a perfect Savior. We have the perfect power of the Holy Spirit shining through us. He is the light. He is the source. So keep the light on in your life. Maybe some of you in this place have encountered the presence of God and the power of God at one point in your life, but you feel like you've actually drifted away and the light's faded a little bit. Let me tell you that He is as much after you now than He has been ever before. He is chasing after you. He is wanting to have the light on in your life. He wants to create truth. He wants you to take the deep, dark secrets away from the darkness and present it into the light because it is the very thing He wants to transform. He wants to redeem you. He wants to heal you, but it just needs the light on. Would we leave the light on? Jesus himself talks about that he comes in the power of the Holy Spirit. We see him baptized and the power of God come and stay and um, dwell on him in the, in the vision of a dove and is the power of the Holy Spirit being sent on him before he commences his ministry. It's, he is the power, he is the light that creates the reflection and the environment. A.W. Tozer says this, the Holy Spirit came to carry the evidence of Christianity, get this, to carry the evidence of Christianity from the books of apologetics into the human heart. To carry the evidence of Christianity from the book of your life into someone else's. They can watch your life all they want, but it requires the Holy Spirit to create the space for someone else to see the redirection towards Jesus, the redirection of attention back on the Savior. So what I want to do right now is, what I want to do is have a quick look at Jesus' life 
and we're going to do some rapid fire practical goods to witnessing. It's going to be good. So this is Jesus's guide to witnessing well. Um, I've also subtitled two different ones, how to engage people authentically without being overly weird. How to engage people without having any experience in engaging people. <laughs> My favorite stories of people and testimonies in this church when they've brought someone to Christ or brought someone to church is how uneventful it is. A lot of the time, it's like, oh, yeah, I work with this guy. A lot of the time, it's, oh, yeah, I was just training them, or I was just at work, or I was on the train, or I go to, I go to soccer with them. They're in the same parent group as me. They're in the same class as me. And it's just such a non-event for them. And I love that it just, it's nothing particularly special. You are the special one. You have the Holy Spirit, and it is that. So we're talking about Jesus' guide to witnessing well. First point is be a friend. Jesus was known as being a friend of sinners. We can't be held up within the fortress of the church walls and expect to see people set free. You were not sent to the church. You were sent to the world. We have been sent as friends of sinners. Jesus was known and persecuted and challenged by the fact that he ate with everyone else that everyone else would not eat with. He was, he was, he was drinking and eating and enjoying the company over dinner with the tax collectors, the people who would accuse people, with the, the, uh, the sinners, the prostitutes, but also get this with the Pharisees as well. He was invited multiple times to take a, the seat of honor at a Pharisee's table, and he accompanied them because Jesus was a good friend. He was a friend just to people, and the Holy Spirit says that he is not called us slaves or servants. He's called us friends. And I th this speaks to me because I've seen so many people repelled from following Jesus by Christians. I... I know of family who have watched the life of a Christian for decades, and that is the very reason that they're not following Jesus. There's the idea that being a friend is an authentic reflection of being a friend with Jesus. There is a transformation happens. There is an authenticity happens. Let your life reflect like Jesus did the transformation that's been apparent in your life. You're not called to a service attendance. You're called to be transformed into the likeness of His Son so that wherever you go, your life and your words speak as a witness to the power of God and the redirection of attention on the Savior. So be a friend. Um, remember people's names. Uh, Dale um, Carnegie, I can't pronounce his name, sorry, mate. It's the man who wrote How to Win Friends and Influence People, says a person's name is to him or her the sweetest and most important sound in any language. So remember people's names. I know some of you are like, I struggle to remember people's names. It's worth the effort. Write it down, put it in your phone. I mean, if you've ever seen me meet someone and then sneakily walk away and text, I'm texting myself the name of that person and details about their life because the act of writing it down helps me remember it. Hack, sorry. Smile a lot. 
smile. Don't let your resting face be, I want to kill you in the morning. Like, <laughs> smile. God is good. And so let our smiles and our faces reflect it. <laughs> so be a friend and be ready. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But in your hearts revere the Lord Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you for the reason of your hope that you have. But do it with gentleness and respect. Now, within our culture, you may not feel qualified like you have all the PhDs and all the environment to answer all the questions that people may bring. My encouragement to you was before you reflect a theology, reflect a person. Before you reflect a theology, reflect the person of Jesus. As we were talking about, he is a friend. Because when your words are seasoned with your good deeds, they mean so much more. Because when you engage someone on an argument, let's just talk about Facebook. Facebook is not the place to witness. That's not witnessing. That's a really poor form of arguing. Because there's so much that I'm communicating to you right now by my body language, by my tone, the way I'm speaking. You can get none of that through a keyboard. And what it is, is it's called a richness of the media. There's certain richnesses of like a text compared to a phone call. That's why when um, I, I really want to get something done, I'm not going to text you because it might seem a little bit over demanding. I'm going to call you in order to create the relationship and the media for communication. And so there's minister the person before you do the theology or the thinking behind it. But you have to be ready for these answers, for these questions, because they're important questions, not because the current of culture is leading in that direction. They're important questions because people have them. People authentically struggle with these things, therefore be prepared for the person. And that's why we meet people a lot of the time. We don't proclaim a lot of this theology from platform. We do it across the coffee table as a pastor, as a conversation, as a, the medium is different because the richness is there. A lot of these conversations are had one-on-one or in a small group because suddenly there's a freedom for allowance of mistakes of language and all these things because they're important questions because people are struggling with them. People are experiencing dystopia around their sexuality. So therefore, let's engage people, not their theologies or their ideologies, let's engage the person behind the question. Jesus was great at this. People came to him with a question, and he didn't speak to the question, he spoke to the person. There was the person asking the question that he engaged, and so... You have to be prepared for these things. John Wooden says, when the opportunity comes, it's too late to prepare. I love, I love young people because they are so unwavering in their questions. And they so, my favorite person to sit in a small group with is the 14-year-old grade nine boy who has just entered Christianity. And none of the things we talk about mean anything to him at all. Like, why are we so obsessed with the lion and the lamb? What's up with all the obsession with blood? Like, none of the language means anything, but there's a preparation that you need to say, well, this is what sin is. 
rather than being like, well, sin broke the earth and all that stuff, well, sin is actually a, a misdirection of purpose and understanding, ah, oh, I get it now, so you have to be ready for these answers because it's a person behind the answer. It's a person behind the question, not engaging at ideology, you're engaging a person with their needs and do it with grace and love. <laughs> Please do it with grace. I'm just delivering the truth of the gospel. Well, Jesus is the way, the life, and the truth. Jesus came with grace, with redemption, with relationship. Here's a hack. If you're not willing to walk with them, don't correct them. If you're not willing to walk with them, don't correct them. Unless you're willing to get in the mud up to your neck and walk with their life, keep your mouth shut. Because otherwise they're going to think that what you're saying is a reflection of your Jesus, whereas Jesus is the one wanting to get in the mud. He's not the one that's condemning them. He's the one that's lifting them out of the miry clay onto the rock. So if you're not willing to walk with them, don't correct them. Last thing I say in the quick fire of Jesus' guide to witnessing well is have more questions than you provide answers. And this is just a form of active listening. It is a value add to someone's life. So if you're sitting across the table from someone and they ask a question, do what Jesus did. Ask another question back at them. The rich young, rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says this, Lord, what do I have to be saved? Or good teacher, what do I have to be saved? Jesus' response is, why do you call me good? What? He's not engaging the question, he's engaging the person. Because his concept of why he was there is in order to get saved, whereas Jesus identified that let's adjust this perspective here first in order to speak to the person afterwards. And so what we see when we, see quest when we ask questions is we're listening and valuing the person over the conversation. And so I don't sit across the table from someone struggling with someone and then start just telling them all the reasons that what they're doing is wrong or what they should be doing. You need to walk with them. You need to engage their questions. You need to ask why, what they're doing. You need to engage, hey, where are you from? Okay, where did you travel from? Or why did you do this before? Or why did you choose this line of business or career or whatever it was? And you're showing that you actually value the individual over the conversation, over the theology, over them trying to just jam a message of Jesus down their throat. You're engaging a person. And so ask more questions than you have answers. It's validating their personal experience with you. But we talked about before, we, we talked about the idea that the Holy Spirit came and He came to, to pour out on people. He came to enlighten and create the space for power and the resurrection of Jesus to flow as a redirection through our own lives. And I actually want to pray for people in this moment where you are to actually receive a fresh enlightening, a fresh pouring out of the Spirit. So why don't we pray? Thank you for listening. We pray that this message inspires you to unmistakably influence your world for good and for God. Go ahead and share it with a friend. And can I invite you to connect with us on one of our many social media platforms as well. Most importantly, 
If you made a decision to follow Jesus, I want to say congratulations. This is the beginning of a life-changing journey. We'd love to see you at one of our many City Point Church services around the world this Sunday. And you can find out more about our service times and locations at citypointchurch.com. We would be so thrilled to see you there.